Hello and welcome to another episode of 353rd. I am Scott Barstow. And I'm Anders Brownworth. Anders, how are you today? Doing well. Loving you too. This just, this brings me back down Amnesia Land. Yeah, uh, absolutely. If anything ever does, it's such a great song. Yeah, uh, seeing this song, we'll talk about this later, but seeing this song live is an experience like like none other. I'm getting yeah. uh, getting goosebumps just thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. So Anders is coming to you from Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. And you can check us out on the web at 350-3rd.com. Uh, we usually start the show with uh, a rewind of the last week in news and just things that we think are interesting to talk about. So um, the first thing I, I thought we should talk about today is the LinkedIn IPO. Yes, and the most important thing there is a, is a full disclosure. I, I, uh, I bought in like a sucker. <laughs> so um, uh, take everything I say with a grain of salt. Nothing we say has anything to do with uh, suggestions or financial, uh, you know, whatever. We, uh, you know, absolve ourselves of all responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but That's that, right. We, yeah. we, have, we, have no, we have no responsibility for any decisions made based on what we say because we're just uh, complete idiots. Yeah. So. We, yeah. We pretty, yeah. That's, that's a pretty good summary. So, uh, yeah, LinkedIn IPO, very interesting. This is, of course, the first of the social network IPOs. Everybody's been talking about uh, uh, Facebook actually doing uh, an IPO, and, and they've been sort of dragging their feet. I can't blame them. It sort of makes sense. But eventually, I, I would imagine they, they will get there. Um, uh, but this is the first one seeming out of the gate, and it brings up the point that um, – uh, you know, we might be back to a little bit of a bubble here. <laughs> yeah, I think it not only is it the uh, first social networking IPO, it's really the first big IPO since, you know, since we've come out of the recession. I mean, there's really hasn't been a, I can't think of another really significant technology IPO um, in the yeah. last in the last year or so. Uh, it's, it's uh, I th- there are varying opinions on how important LinkedIn is, and I think it's if you're in the business community, and if you're uh, if you're um, operating in that in that realm, it seems like there are people that think that LinkedIn is actually more valuable than Facebook uh, for for pure business relationships. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, the the answer is absolutely, and this is why I'm so. Uh, this is why I jumped right in and uh, you know right into the fray. Because LinkedIn is really, uh, uh, you know, the easiest the easiest to monetize in my mind. I mean, a lot of people say it's just a uh, resume site, um, but how absolutely incredibly valuable that is. Uh, when I uh, get on LinkedIn and I'm, uh, you know, just kind of pinging around and asking people, hey, what, what should, you know, what are, what's a good candidate to do this kind of thing? And uh, where's somebody that could be able, that, that has these skills or something like that? They've, they've got it nailed. I mean, the problem with resume sites is they're full of spam. And y- you can't ever put a resume in for anything anyway because, you know, as a hiring manager, you, you and I know this, uh, Scott, as a uh, working at bandwidth, we just, you know, we had a job opening and, and suddenly there's, you know, 800,000 resumes in your email and, you know, you're just gonna, you're sinking under this trend and 90% of it is just schlock. It's horrible. So yeah, I agree. And I think the, if you think about how, um, 
I guess, how people are hired today. I think it's radically different from even five to seven years ago. Typically, you know, when, when we were at bandwidth.com together, we would, as you just said, we'd put the resume, you know, we'd put the job offering out there and we'd wait for the, the flood of resumes to come in. <clears throat> and some of those would be, some of those would be pretty good and some of them would be really good and most of them would be utter garbage. I think today, uh, when you do that, you get, you get very few quality resumes uh, on job boards. Have, I think. have you ever gotten a job the right way? Like, no, you know, with the, nope. re- yeah, it's always, been, it's always been a relationship. Yeah. And I think that, and to your point, your original point, that is why LinkedIn to me is as or more valuable, at least in the commercial space than Facebook. I think Facebook is, is still just very much a consumer uh, space, but if I'm wanting to get to know somebody or, you know, find out somebody's CV before I talk to them, that's the first place I go. Yeah. So, and I think that's what makes it extremely valuable. So I think it's a, for me, this is a great thing to see because it's, uh, it is the first social networking IPO, but it's also, these guys have a legitimate uh, business and, you know, obviously they've been around for a long time and they've got, you know, a bajillion users, but it's, uh, they're, it's a legitimate company. I think they're going to do really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, so the, I'm, I'm obviously betting they will. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You didn't short the stock. No. <laughs> so uh, the, the other thing that I thought was pretty interesting this week um, and, uh, is the, the, uh, the announcement by Square <clears throat> of their new iPad cash register. Absolutely. So for those of you who don't know, Square is a, uh, a startup, relatively recent startup, that just makes taking credit cards just dirt simple. Uh, it's an iPhone application. It's an Android application. There's a little dongle that you plug into your, your headphone jack on your iPhone, uh, and you, you can zip credit cards through there, or you could just type them in. You don't have to have the gong, dongle thing. But the key to this product is just absolute simplicity. It's just beautifully simple, uh, very easy to use. So, so uh, Scott, why don't you summarize what they just came out with? So the interesting thing they just came out with is they've got a new iPad application that essentially takes the place of a cash register in the store. So if I'm a clerk uh, in a retail location, I can take people's payments with this iPad app and uh, manage the entire transaction and all of those kinds of things right from this. So I can be walking around the store essentially with a portable cash register. Now that in itself is not necessarily novel. Uh, As we know, when you, for the last, I don't know, four or five, three or four years, at least, uh, when you go into an Apple store, they've got the, you know, they could take you, they could swipe your card from wherever the, the clerk was in the store and you get a receipt, you know, with the printer hanging off the girl's belt or whatever. So I think that's not what's interesting. What they've done that I think is really interesting is, uh, is this idea of, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the square card case for the consumer. And what the card case is, is it allows me to essentially put my loyalty cards into a virtual wallet. And I can also put my, uh, my credit cards into that same virtual wallet. And if the merchant... Uh, so if I'm if I'm getting ready to walk into an Apple store, for instance, or uh, you know Abercrombie and Fitch, doesn't matter who it is, um, I can actually check inventory ahead of time, and I can actually pay uh, for the transaction ahead of time and walk into the store and just pick it up and go. If I'm already a Square user and a, and this merchant has been approved by me, and the merchant is also a Square merchant, really interesting concept. What are your th- What are your thoughts on it? 
Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting, especially for uh, you know the the whole loyalty card thing. It's uh, uh, that has never been convenient or simple. Um, nope. So I think that's that's uh, spectacular. The other thing that uh, I I you know the other thing about Square, I guess, is just Square in general is uh, um, the just simply the fact that. Uh, it it solves elegantly this problem. So I, I my my brother Lars Brownworth wrote a book, and um, you know we went out on a book tour, and of course having books nearby and being able to sell them was uh, pretty key to that effort. And uh, you know we were dying for the first half of the uh, time we were out on tour because we couldn't sell the books, and now to. Uh, you know, be able to just uh, have a square reader and and uh, charge books right away. I mean, obviously, it easily doubles the volume because most people are not carrying around a checkbook; they're carrying a, carrying around a, a you know a credit card. And then the the idea to just sort of extend that and, in a sense, own your customer. Like, if we could now go back, basically, to everybody who's who's bought books from us or or you know. Uh, done some kind of a transaction with us and, and uh, you know, kind of wrap those all together. Well, maybe not the most, uh, uh, you know, important thing for selling books, uh, you know, one-off books. But if you have, uh, you know, any kind of a small shop that's, that has a repeat customer, I mean, that just becomes incredibly valuable as well. So Yeah, yeah, I yes. agree. And I think the, the other thing that I find really interesting, so over the weekend, uh, it's kind of the same example as you were just talking about. Over the weekend, we had some uh, pictures taken of our family. And the the girl that was the photographer that took all the pictures from us, we had to write her a check yeah. at the end of it, which is just a pain because like you, I don't carry a checkbook. Uh, I don't, and I barely carry, carry cash anymore yeah. uh, unless I know I'm going to need it. And so, I mean, how much more convenient would it have been for us to just hand her a card and she just, you know, pulls out her square, plugs her square uh, reader into the top of her iPhone, scans it. But instead, we've got to go through this painful transaction of writing a check and, you know, having to keep track of the fact that we wrote the check. Yeah. And, yeah, I've, so. I've never had a, a checking account in my life. I've never had checks. Back in the day, it absolutely killed me. But I basically said, if you if you don't take a card uh, you know, I'm not going to do business with you. Yep. <laughs> Basically, men, I did business with nobody. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the thing about Lars and your example about Lars is the other thing is it does is it, it facilitates the impulse purchase, right? Because yes. if those if those people are walk out of the store, they'll find something better to do with that twenty dollars, yep. or at least half of them will. But if they're in the store, the Lars is there. They really enjoyed him. Okay, well, it's twenty bucks. Who cares? Yeah, right? it's twenty bucks, and I get a signed book. Done. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Know, who, yeah. Who's not going to do that? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anything else from uh, from the last week? No, it's it was uh, pretty exciting <laughs> already there with uh, with LinkedIn uh, is for me. So I, you know, that totally took my eye off most other things going on. <laughs> um, but so our, no. for our company profile this week, we talked about um, we talked about taking a look at Bitcoin. Yes. So why don't you uh, why don't you explain to everybody what Bitcoin is and how it works and uh, and then let's uh, let's spend a little bit of time talking about it. Sure. So Bitcoin is a peer to peer currency. Uh, there's anonymity with every single transaction. Um, you own bitcoins. Uh, they they sit in a wallet. There's just a uh, you know 
an encrypted file effectively. And uh, you can use these things to, to buy things and, and transfer and, and do all that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's just taking the same peer-to-peer technologies, the same ideas that, that exist in other spheres and that have been such a problem, for example, for the movie industry with BitTorrent, but taking that and, and making it work on a, uh, you know, as a currency. And the interesting thing, I think, is not the technology. Uh, while the technology itself is is uh, uh, compelling um, because you can mine coins and there's built-in uh, uh, inflation and this sort of thing, um, there's the the much much more interesting thing is to watch something like this turn into an actual monetary system. You know, it, it makes you it makes you rethink and question exactly why you have currencies. And, um, you know, what governmental control of these currencies uh, uh, entails. I mean, obviously, you can inflate or deflate the currency by, you know, adding supply or taking supply away or whatever it is. Now, this is this Bitcoin thing. That's basically impossible. Right. Um, And the reason for that is because there's a finite number of Bitcoins. Yeah. Right. So if uh, if I want to. Um, you know, procure more Bitcoins, I've got to pay more for them and they become more valuable, right? So as the supply gets, uh, gets shorter, they inherently become more valuable. So the supply, to, to add some numbers here, the supply is about 6.5 million Bitcoins now and that will grow to 21 million and never grow any more than that. That's programmed into the uh, infrastructure. And you mine coins. You run a computationally expensive algorithm to mine for coins, uh, and uh, they get they get handed out very slowly at uh, uh, you know in fifty coin increments yep. uh, by the system. So uh, there there is some. So if you get a coin now, presumably. Uh, when the supply is doubled to 13 million coins, your coins are half as valuable. And that's true, except for the fact that the uh, value of the Bitcoin may inflate given you know, the U.S. dollar or some other metric um, uh, because of the scarcity. Yep. So let's, let's talk a little bit about how... Uh, a Bitcoin transaction might work. So let's say that I'm a I'm a merchant uh, that sells T-shirts, yeah. and you're interested in buying one of my T-shirts. Let's talk about how that transaction would work. So I, as the merchant, have to be willing to accept Bitcoins as payment, just like I might ex- have accepted 200 years ago. I, you might have been able to pay me with a chicken uh, today. You can pay me with a Bitcoin. Right. So why, why do I care? Right, you don't care as long as I'm willing to. Well, I do. I do care if 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 I if I a don't have bitcoins if I'm trying to buy something, and I have to transfer money, or b if I'm on the seller and I get a pile of bitcoins, what am I going to do with them? Right. So it only matters if you a have a like a transaction, uh, like a uh, an exchange where I can change bitcoins to dollars and dollars to bitcoins. Or I have an, uh, you know, the equal amount of other purchasing I want to do with the Bitcoins that I get. Right. So if I, uh, if I as the merchant, am willing to accept you give me five Bitcoins for a T-shirt, 
Um, it only those bitcoins only have value to me if I can turn around and buy something else that I have that I'm interested in with those five bitcoins. So yeah. if I want to turn around and buy uh, <clears throat> you know, a pair of shoes or whatever it is or something that's interesting to me, and that and there's a merchant that takes those same takes bitcoins as currency. Uh, then it has value. Otherwise, mm-hmm. <clears throat> otherwise, there is no there is no value. But that's also true. That's true of any currency. There's only the currency only has value to the extent that we both agree that it has that value. Yeah, the U.S. dollar used to be backed by silver. Uh, there, there were silver certificates, uh, and you could go to the U.S. government and uh, demand, uh, you know, a dollar's worth of silver. Right. Uh, from but today, that's no bills. longer the case. As that's we know. right. Yeah. So the the dollar is really only worth what you and I say it is in a very simple sense. Yeah. Um, but the so, dollar can be taxed. Yes, and that to me is the biggest difference between uh, between you know a, a traditional transaction and a Bitcoin transaction. Yeah. So what's what's the problem with that? Well, I think the uh, I think the only person that, the only entity that cares about that are the state and local you know state and federal governments that are wanting to tax the transaction. So if if I'm able to if you and I are able to transact business in a currency that never crosses a uh, you know it never comes across the register of a taxing agency, then you, then we you and I have exchanged value and the government has not been able to play a part in it. <clears throat> so the, I think the what's going to be interesting to to watch for me is how to if this actually gets traction and I think it probably will and the the question for me is does it ever go really into the mainstream but I think to the extent that it is headed that way I think the government at some point is going to try to step in So how could they what what's going to be their what's their teeth here I think their only teeth uh, that I can think of is that uh, you're not. There's no way to exchange bitcoins for dollars. Yeah. So you can't take the currency outside of the system. So it's. So, it's but you could also make the, the the currency illegal. You could, but I think the just like uh, I think if you um, if you, if we if we equate it to the music industry. So if we go back, if we rewind, you know, ten to fifteen years in the music industry when oh, everybody joy. was yeah it was. <laughs> panicking about the fact that people were copying music right so you and i were sharing mp3s and there was uh you know and the and the record companies were not getting any of that revenue oh i never so, shared an mp3 what are you talking about <laughs> i didn't either this was all hypothetical okay well i was just making sure <laughs> right so if uh you know what the music industry's response to that as we all know was drm yeah and trying to uh police it by encrypting and I think what we what we've all found out is that the that is a losing battle uh, because there are always people that are smarter um, than the federal government, and there's always or than the agents or than the in, the entity that's interested in in the transaction and and benefiting from it. And I think what this uh, this to me feels a lot the same way, yeah. In that I don't know that the government outside of the the lever of you know, trying to figure out, trying to tap the network and be kind of sitting latent on the uh, on the network and figuring out who's exchanging what for what and trying to police it that way. But you can't. I mean, you know, it's sort of anonymous, right? Yeah, but you have. I got to believe. I have to believe that if they really want to find out, I, I, 
I bet they can find out. If they if they care enough, if there's enough money at stake, they'll figure out a way yeah, to find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <clears throat> right. So they'll they'll put, they'll exert enough pressure in the right places. Uh, there's nothing like the threat of jail time or something like that to get somebody to, you know, cough up information. To divulge so. an IP address or a location <laughs> right. of an IP or whatever. Yeah. 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 So and they have they've got that stick. They've got the they've got the thing that they can beat you over the head with that that you know you and I don't have that that sort of power. Yeah. So. I, yeah. But I mean I don't know that it's I mean, it would just be so impractical. Yeah. Whatever. You know. I, I don't know. So they so they have a they have a they can make the exchanges illegal. And they can make the currency illegal, or just or just you know beat you down for using it. Yeah, or, or have it you know make sure that there's you cannot exchange it for anything valuable outside of outside of that. So yeah. I think those are yeah, but it, but but like service, you can always you know so so bitcoins are used basically for you know poker sites and and uh, you know just things are marginal or gray area and things that are definitely illegal, you know child porn or whatever, right? It yep. has a very negative connotation right now. Yes. Um, because the only people that care about it are people that want to do transactions, drugs and stuff like this. They want to do transactions that are that are not traceable. Yes, um, they want to stay outside of the system. So it's right. the equivalent of, you know, stuffing money in your mattress kind of thing. And, uh, you know, transporting money by suitcase instead of yeah, going through the banking transfer. system or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's, it's right now, it's generally nefarious activity uh, that's using, that's using this, that's using it. So I, uh, what was so, interesting, so talk about just for, as the last part of this segment, talk a little bit about the article that, uh, that you found yesterday uh, that was pretty funny. Yes. <laughs> so uh, there's there's this article about these. Um, uh, they're they're looking at uh, power usage in different houses and and stuff to try to find uh, grow houses where people are are growing marijuana under you know obviously very power uh, uh, intensive lights that um, that just drain. So so they 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 pick this uh you know I think it's 96 kilowatts or some number and they say okay houses above this are probably going to be uh grow houses and they 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 roll up and they bust down the door and they pop in and there's this kid with all his computers and he's mining bitcoins and he's got you know a pile of them going bunch of GPUs running because you know he just wants to uh, you know mine bitcoins and it takes a, a similar uh, you know sort of a power uh, envelope or whatever to do that <laughs> which I thought was absolutely classic um, yeah that's awesome I bet that I bet that kid uh, was uh, just a little bit scared when they kicked in the door yeah <laughs> tiny bit so uh, so this this actually brings up one other thing I wanted to touch on if we could go geek for a second um, open CL so this is a uh, this is a basically a C like language that you can write uh, uh, very simple routines and they get compiled into a, uh, a byte code that gets packaged inside a, a, a larger program. Let's say, for example, a, a Bitcoin client. Um, the OpenCL code that you write, uh, you know, very simple, very, very, you know, usually works on a very parallelizable thing, can get uploaded to your graphics card, which is 
optimized to do very simple things across very parallelized uh, uh, problems, um, something like rendering a game or something like that where you have large texture maps in, in memory and you're, you're trying to figure out what color a certain pixel should be. So you have a whole bunch of workers drawing a whole bunch of pixels all at the same time. Well, you can make these workers you know, mine bitcoins as well. Just a very, you know, very elemental, but, but, uh, you know, parallelizable problem. Uh, so OpenCL is this, uh, language that you can use to write just code that gets executed on GPUs. And it, uh, it's in OS X, uh, Mac OS X, um, I think since Tiger, uh, and you can, uh, you know, it's just part of the, uh, Xcode package, you can you can uh, write these things and upload them to you know you can sense what cards are on the system and upload to it. So I did this and I got uh, basically the hello world of GPU programs running and uh, just to get an idea of uh, how much I can do and I can you know easily maybe maybe close to a hundred times the uh, the power of my CPUs on my Mac Pro I can. Uh, I can do with the GPUs that I have uh, on that system, which is pretty darn incredible for for very simple things. Hmm. Um, That's pretty cool. So a practical application of that is, so you <laughs> talked about the fact that you can crack a, a wireless key. Ah, yes, web um, keys. Yeah, yeah. So so you can calculate rainbow tables to uh, to figure out what web keys are. Um, you know, these are they're the Wi-Fi keys, uh, and you can crack them very very quickly. In a matter of hours, with uh, you know certain uh, certain setups, you can do this extremely quickly if you use GPUs. And that it, it, it's interesting, not in that you can crack it so fast, but what uh, security implications that has over time. Uh, yep. Anything sitting on a wireless network that the whose basic you know uh, key length doesn't increase at some regular interval. Uh, you know, to keep up with computing increases is going to be just so easily crackable um, that it. And and I don't see people doing this in in uh, web hardware or in, in uh, Wi-Fi hardware. Rather, uh, they don't make variable sized keys. They don't make you know key. You can't just jump from one twenty one twenty eight to uh, two forty eight or whatever uh, 2048 bit, uh, keys. You just can't do it. I mean, yep. the hardware is probably not fast enough to ha hang with it also. So yeah. there is that, which makes me think that if you're going to use a wireless network and you're going to be, you want to remain secure, even though the network could be encrypted, uh, you probably want to do some encryption above that, that has keys that can get as big as you need them to get yep. 4,096, whatever, you know, pretty big keys if necessary and makes and a lot you, of sense and then you got the whole quantum computing thing it kind of coming along that's just going to blow this all up and so even if you have a you know relatively huge key nowadays i mean there's going to be a big jump very soon where we'll be able to decrypt some pretty pretty tough stuff um <clears throat> you know you got to stay ahead of that curve i guess it just needs to be on your mind whereas back I mean, in the day to, you can it, go to bitcoin.org <laughs> and and Anders, if uh, if somebody wants to find out more about OpenCL, where do they where do they check that out? Uh, the OpenCL stuff, I think it's OpenCL org. But there's uh, if you go to the uh, developer AppleCom uh, docs, you can uh, they have a doc and you know gets you into it and figure out how to use it. And there's some sample code and stuff like that. 
pretty cool. Cool. So uh, moving on, we we wanted to talk today for our kind of big topic. We wanted to talk about Car OS. Yes. So this is uh, this is a pretty this is a pretty big topic, and uh, and we spent the first. Uh, part of the show a little bit longer than we had thought than we had uh, than we had planned on the first part of the show, um, <laughs> which we always seem to do. Uh, huh, so go figure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> go figure that. So, um, Car OS. Yeah. Why is it important? This is. Uh, I, first of all, I'm blown away that this hasn't been done yet. Yeah, you and me both. I can't believe there's not. Uh, you know, you've got the what's the what's the Microsoft operating system that's in Ford's. Uh, What's it called? Plus or uh, some no insane idea. thing? Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't even exist. The fact that I can't remember it is, right. is all that anybody needs to know. Yeah, right? like like so, there should be Android for the car, or like you know, forget trying to make Android work on a tablet. You know, there should be an Android for the car. Well, you know, Android doesn't have to be the answer. Obviously, if Apple were to roll in there, it would be a totally different thing. Um, so, I'm what I'm looking for here is not like taking a tablet and sticking it in a car. What I'm talking about is is a rethink that's automobile specific. So you if you understand what's on the CAN bus in the car, you know, you know, fuel flow across the injectors, you know, uh Yeah, so tell us tell us what a CAN bus is. So a CAN bus is is a uh, uh basically a standard that exists in most modern cars. Uh I I would say all, but I mean, there's probably one or two holdouts. Uh, and you can, uh, this is the thing that when you go to the car shop, they, they click in that, you know, really expensive car analyzer and the, and it, you know, thinks for half a second and pops out, oh, here's your problem. You have, you know, blah, 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 blah. And whatever your problem is comes out and yep. you, you sit there saying, well, you know, you know, back in the day, you used to be able to pop the hood and understand everything under the hood and be able to fix your problem or at least have a good idea of what it was. But nowadays you can't do that because you need to go buy some $10,000 handheld overpriced piece of junk that you click in and it says you have your taillight is out, you know, or whatever it is. So yeah, exactly. So you've got, you know, your, your uh, warning light comes on on your dash and it could be one of 500 things that's going wrong. And, you can, and then you have no, there's no clue about what's actually happening to the user, but uh, like you said, as soon as I go to AutoZone or somebody, someplace like that, and they plug the thing in, they know instantly what's wrong with my car. So why can't I have that information available? That well, that information is available in your car. It's not like that that machine has some really expensive component that figures that all out. The car actually does know what its problem is. It just doesn't have a screen to show it to you in English. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. a trivial thing. So, so whatever the car OS is, need that needs to be a prime part of it. Yeah, so, I agree. Show the show the guy that's driving the car what's wrong and how much it matters. Right. So, right. right. And and then uh, obviously the the car OS would have some sort of connection to the internet. There would be uh, you know a way to to get updates and and uh, you know. Uh, handle recalls and and do all kinds of things that have to do with repair and maintenance and uh, all of these things should just be part of it. The, the car should know when my uh, you know when I'm due for an oil change. It should show me where the oil change places that are you know you know good for my car are around. Yeah, uh, all this kind of thing. And it should as soon as a problem happens. All the places that can fix it should pop up. And heck, there's a great advertising platform. You just have, uh, you know, whatever company it is, uh, uh, pay to get their their uh, 
name highlighted or something on the result set. The result set, I would imagine, be like a Google Maps with little pins on all the places that are nearby that can help you with whatever that is. And then you just you pick one of them, you hit the thing, and they, it slots you in for a, for a, an appointment or whatever it is. And it, you could just pay for the whole thing. You just roll up. They know who you are. They know the problem. They know the car. And they have the whole history, all of that stuff. And yeah. you, they just run right through the thing. It's kind of like everything that you you wish you could do for yourself as you know in the medical field but are scared because of uh privacy concerns like who cares if you know whether or not the car you know has a a leaky valve or something you want to know that yeah so there's a you had a couple of interesting points in there and uh, and then one other one that that uh, that i'll bring up so the first one i thought uh was really interesting is this idea of of the so right now as you know when I go when you go to get your car fixed and they fix it all of that information is stored with the guy with the mechanics computer system there's nothing in my car that tells me what went wrong yeah. and what they did to fix it so just think about the uh, the market where I'm trying to sell my car what's the first question that anybody asks if they're buying a used car well what's been done to the car yeah What's the what's the history of the car? And you've got Carfax that tells you whether the car was in a wreck, but the but Carfax doesn't tell you. You know this has had you've had the you know some fuel line fuel thing replaced three times in the last five years. So there's obviously something wrong there. So that's it's very much a you know caveat emptor, right? The buyer has to take the you know if I'm buying a used car, I've got to take that car to my mechanic and he's got to check it out. And it's very much um, in my in my court to figure out what went wrong. So if the if the car is storing that information, I think that's very compelling. And it also helps when I roll into that, if I move to a new area and uh, I've, I've got to find a new mechanic, they instantly know everything that's happened to that car. Yeah. So that, I thought that was pretty interesting. I think the other thing you brought up that's really interesting is this idea that, okay, something's going wrong on my car, you know, my CV joint's going bad or whatever it is. And uh, show me the mechanics or show me the shops that are within 10 miles of here that of where I am right now or my house or whatever, whatever the criteria might be to, uh, that can fix the CV joint on my car. And maybe if, uh, if I'm driving a Honda, which of course I do, um, what are the, who are the Honda specialists in my area? If I always want to take it to a guy that specializes in Honda, who are those guys and where are they? And, you know, what's their reputation? If, if users have rated them, you know, you can get all sorts of information. Um, and it becomes a really interesting network and just a very interesting amount of data flowing into some, you know, some cloud environment where we can, uh, like you said, it could be leveraged for advertising or things like that. Yeah, but the the and the, that's right. And and uh, I don't know if you have another point there, but but I, I think the the, uh, the 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 sort of the car fix it angle is one of many. I mean, yep. obviously, there's the the sound system in the car. There's navigation. There's there's the, this should be a Wi-Fi hotspot that just works anytime you're near your car or whatever it is. GPS should be part of this. Why why aren't why isn't all of this stuff rolled up under a one really nice kind of a I don't know if you want to call it an operating system or whatever you want to call it, just some some piece of hardware that that handles all this stuff sort of centrally and well. So. Yep. Prius, uh, Toyota just uh, put out the Prius V or five or whatever it is, and this is a car where you uh, it has a sort of an entertainment system that links to your phone. I don't know if it's via Bluetooth or something. And there's a special phone app that you run, and then 
and then it, there's a connection there and then you can download apps that work on the car and and there's only like six uh-huh. and this to me seems like the total wrong way to do it yeah there's I agree. only th- there's only a few apps they only work with the thing it requires that your phone be on i mean your phone's gonna die i mean you're driving around you know whatever you just want the thing to work you don't want to yeah, make plus sure your why, phone's yeah you don't want to be fussing with your phone while you're driving down the totally. road yeah, it's 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 so it's it, it's just the wrong way to go about it. I think there needs to be a data plan for your car, and then your so your phone can you know be there and not be drained. Yeah. Uh, why duplicate? Like, why would you want to duplicate everything you have on your phone in your car? Well, because when you're in a car, the interface requirements are totally different. You're driving. You can't look very closely at the screen and and you know carefully pick this or that it's a yeah it's got to be it's got to be big buttons it's got to be it's got to be right. voice recognition it's yes. got to be you know it's got to be the big flashing lights yeah. um you know and that sort of thing so i think it, you're right because it's got to be something that i can just sort of see out of the corner of my eye and say oh i need i probably need to pay attention to that yeah and kind and, of thing. and like like the home button on an iphone there has to be the there has to be Either something that's up all the time or something that you can just press that gets that just gets rid of whatever is going on and allows you the the, the basic home screen, which yep. you, you know, reliably, you know, map is always in the upper left or whatever it is. You know, there, there has to be that. The thing that I'm on the edge about, like, I don't know whether or not it fits in here is is a phone. I don't think the car OS itself should have a voice plan and a phone. I think your phone does that, and if you're going to do that, you talk via Bluetooth to the to the device. Uh, and the r- primary reason for that is you don't want to have another phone number for your car. Exactly. I think that's the main. To me, that last sentence is the reason why it's not. Yeah. Uh, because I really don't want. Um, I don't want somebody have to. You know, I don't want to have to remember another phone number. I don't want when I'm calling somebody. I want them to know it's me. Yeah. Uh, so the caller ID can't be different, and all yeah. of those kind of things that you deal with. I think. <clears throat> I think you know your your handset should be your handset, and this thing runs the car. Yeah. Uh, it runs the mu- like you said. It runs the music. It runs. Yeah. Um, you know, runs my data connectivity. It does everything while I'm in the car. And this is only you know these kinds of things that you and I are talking about are only going to get more and more you know connectivity intensive. All of those yeah. you know all the applications we're talking about. You know, your car is going to be a you know essentially a you're riding down the road with a T1 in the car kind of thing. I mean, yeah. it's going to be it's the connect the connectivity is going to be fantastic. And so why not make it essentially a, you know, just a mobile do anything kind of environment? Yeah. Uh, And I think, I think it's definitely going to go there. The, the other thing I would say is, you know, while you're, while you're uh, driving around, you're, you have data that comes to you via the, um, uh, you know, GPS tells you where you are, you know, what road you're driving around on. Let's say uh, you're, you have an option where you can anonymously push that data back into the cloud and you can figure out then where traffic jams are in a much more real time way where like what the average speed on a certain road is where what people are uh, uh, you know where people are stopping all of that kind of thing can be used to figure out you know traffic overlays figure out better uh gps routing when you want to go from a to b and you want to do it in the fastest time 
um, and figure out uh, like better light timing. Uh, figure out where the where the municipal problems on the network are. Like uh, you know, certain lights uh, when this one goes green, that one goes red. So you only get a hundred feet before you stop again. You know, coordination issues like that. All of that stuff can be figured out. And then in the long run, wouldn't it be really cool to have the lights know when cars are there because the cars tell the lights that they're they're there. Yeah. It it could just know, look, I got a whole bunch of people coming down the street and I got one car waiting to turn. Why am I stopping all those whole bunch of people going down the street? If I just leave the light green for five more seconds, the whole system works much more efficiently. So I think there are a lot of ways that that data could kind of make its way out of the car OS back into the cloud or, or whatever to be uh, analyzed and then and the rest of the the municipal municipal systems just work you know on that data as well so i think they're really really i mean there there's just nothing there right now uh, yeah they, yeah you're right you're right and best. i think the 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 last scenario that i would talk about going back to the repair you think about having the ability to compare or get average rates for what it costs to fix something in your area so the average yeah repair cost for a CV joint is $250 on a, you know, on a 2005 Honda Accord. And so when you roll into the repair shop and the guy says, oh, it's $350, you can say, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> uh, really? Well, the, you know, everyone around you is charging $250. Are you sure about that? Yeah. And so it's like an Edmunds.com for repairs kind of thing. Yeah. Um, where you're getting, you know, what's the market? What's my market price for doing this repair where I live? Yeah kind of kind of stuff so it could be it could be very compelling yeah. and you're right i don't know of any there may be people working on it that we don't know about but we certainly haven't heard about it yet have we no i it, it's just i mean i can't i i some company that comes in and does a google where you where you just say look here is an open source you know free thing just go ahead and use it you go ahead and build the hardware you make the you make the investment blah 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 and we will do the the software and the UI and make it real easy to use you just copy everybody that exists right now copy iOS Android everything right and then make this thing and then turn around and like you know a few years later suddenly you have some sort of an install base using it and now you own that that model, that network, you can, you know, just the advertising alone, you can make a lot of money. And yes, exactly. It's, 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 just, it's not unlike the, the Twitter model where, you know, the value is not, the value of Twitter is in the fact that all of these people are pushing all of this information to them. Yeah. That they can then leverage and sell and market in different ways. And that's, you know, it's, so it, it is a data aggregation kind of play, yeah. I think. But you got to do it. It's got to be real careful. You can't have that, you know, location spat that we were, you yeah, know, exactly. talking about. You talk- can't push the bar too far on that stuff. You yeah. have to. I mean, you you have a lot more. Like I was getting to early, you have a lot more sort of leeway here because we're not talking about a person with personally identifiable information and all that. You're just talking about a car. But there still are things. It is. Some people may not want you know, another person to specifically know that they are a not home or B are traveling in a certain area or whatever it is, right? They probably don't want that because it does correlate. So you have to be careful. You can't just like no holds barred, but you know, you know, there isn't a very sizable opportunity. If you, you know, get $10 million together and, and build this, you, you will, I cannot imagine why you wouldn't 
just own this industry in five years. I mean, it's yes. going to happen. Somebody's going to do it. And it was probably going to be an Android, you know, kind of crossover that does it, which means Google will end up owning it. But if right. somebody else does it now, you know, you own it. You know, you just fork Android and do it right now. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the to the to the security thing. Just to kind of wrap this up, I think the the way to address that is uh, you allow people to opt in if they want to share more personal information. Yeah. But by default, it's yeah. very much anonymized, and yeah. the you know the IP. Sure, uh, you can obviously you can find your way back to whatever the car is, but you've got to really care about it to do that. Um, and most people are just not going to care. So, yeah. um, so I think the I think you can anonymize it properly uh, in such a way that uh, people have a, a comfort level with with that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. I think I think we've uh, beat we that beat one that to death. To death. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, so our uh, our amnesia lane segment. This one. Uh, this one for me this week is a is a really good one, and we listened to U2's music on the way in, uh, on the way into the show this week. And uh, for me, there just isn't anybody better than U2. Wow. And and uh, I've got a, an interesting anecdote anecdote about U2. When I was probably 12 or 13, uh, U2 came to a very small community college where I was growing up, and my my next door neighbor. Um, was very much into them and had, I think it was the it was the war tour or the boy tour. It was very early uh, when they were kind of first in the U.S., uh, first making their way over here. And so I had an opportunity to go see them when nobody knew about them. Wow. And and my neighbor came over and said, hey, I've got two tickets for this band U2. Do you want to go? And I yeah. said, I said, I don't have any idea who that is. And I don't I couldn't care less about going to see them. And so I didn't go. Oh, you're kidding and it to this day Dude. that decision haunts me you how uh, can you how can you open by by telling this story <laughs> are you kidding me uh it was uh, as oh, I, i've seen you two i think four times since yeah. then and that but it's all been since they got huge yeah and I, I think back on that decision of being able to see a band like that yeah. before. I mean, literally, my neighbor was he was he had very progressive music tastes, and he was very much into them. And, but he was the only guy in our in our entire school that even knew who they were. Right. And so it was, just wasn't anything that I cared about. I thought you were going to tell some story that I was just going to be so jealous of you. And now, now all I'm, all I'm going to do is say, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So what makes, uh, you and I have both seen you two a ton. Yeah. Right. I think I've seen them four times in the last 15 years or something like that. Uh, just every time they, every time I get the chance now I go, so what's, yeah. what is it about you two that, uh, either you love or what? Why do? Why are they so good? Why are they so popular? Well, yeah. So some of their music it has just turned into this iconic, uh, you know, especially the stuff on the Joshua Tree. Um, uh, some found what I'm looking for with or without you. Uh, you know, where the streets have no name. Kind of those first three songs on that album. Just they've reached such a iconic level that they've become too played out almost. But that covers what what I've really seen in them. By I look at Rattle and Hum, which I which I think is my uh, most favorite album. Uh-huh. Uh, it's you know both musically and lyrically. It just kind of 
there are certain songs on on each of these things that that I can remember where my mind was when I first heard them and remember what I thought because the first time I listen to music pretty much across the board I don't listen to the words I just listen to the music and the music has to be good to get me in the door and this stuff was and <laughs> yeah I think what I remember about rattle and hum yeah. and I was not so I I did not I probably uh, gosh, when did I start really getting into you two? It's probably, probably after Rattle and Hum, and I'll and I'll tell you why here in a minute. I remember going to watch Rattle and Hum at the theater, yeah, and uh, and I had you know I had yeah, you two was kind of oh they're okay. I really like you know Pride. I like all of those you know the songs that were big on the radio. Yeah, like, the yeah, anthem. Those songs. are great songs. Totally. But I remember going to see Rattle and Hum. And I remember, and the song incidentally is not even on the uh, the recording, but it's in the movie. And I remember from the scene from Sun Devil Stadium, where they play uh, "Where the Streets Have No Name." Yeah. And you know Bono's coming out, and he's got the cowboy hat on, and it's in black and white, and you know the place just explodes. Yeah. When when uh, when they get out of the uh, the initial part of that song, and the crowd's going crazy, and I just remember thinking, "Holy cow." Yeah, you know these guys are amazing, and it's even sitting in the theater. I was like, "Wow, that'd yeah. be something to see someday." And then you know, once you obviously once you see that yourself, it's uh, there's nothing like it. Yeah, um, nothing like it at all. So, what's your what's your favorite U two album, and why? Oh uh, well, well, so so it's definitely Rattle and Hum. It, it goes back and forth though in uh, over the long time between that and Octane Baby. Uh, the the Baby, the reason that was so interesting to me is is one of the last concept albums. It's something that that starts somewhere, goes somewhere, says you know says something and ends somewhere else, uh, and you know it sort of ends dark with love is blindness and you know a, a divorce and and you know all these things. But it's it's really clever about the uh, uh, relationships, especially um, uh, Acrobat, mm-hmm. which is. Which is uh, you know you know talk like this and act like that. It's very it, it's it's really very interesting um, because of course it it connects with with where I was at the time when I heard it. <laughs> but I keep coming back to rattle and hum and 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 for the same reason that the the music was just brought me in to begin with and it was really good and then it's right at that time where I would have been kind of getting sick of it because it's sort of overplayed or yada yada. The uh, the lyrics suddenly I have now listened to that I could like sing them all, yeah. But I didn't yep. really listen to what it meant, and mm-hmm. now I listen to what it meant. And not only does it stand up to the music, but it is now much more important than the music. Yeah. So back to Octing Baby for a minute. I think yeah. one of the best songs on that album that gets absolutely no play uh, either at their live shows or on the radio. I, I love trying to throw your arms around the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just a fantastic You think song. that's the best one on the album? <laughs> I'm not saying it's the best. Okay. I'm just saying that I love that yeah. song. It's yeah. kind of off the beaten path a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. But, but uh, so for me, I really like, uh, I like Octane Baby. It's, Really? Uh, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to say well this is my favorite or that's my favorite I really mm-hmm. like that one and incidentally that was the Octung Baby tour was the first time that I saw U2 live really uh, so that was kind of my coming of age as far as U2 uh-huh. is concerned <laughs> so that'll do it yeah that'll so that's it. it's got a special uh, I remember seeing I saw him in Hampton Virginia mm-hmm. uh, just a just a, an amazing show yeah um, so I th- I think 
uh, of the of the more recent stuff. If so, if you set aside you know all of their the anthems as you call them and all of the kind of iconic U two music. Yeah. For me, the uh, of all of the more recent things they've done, I really like the uh, I really like the Atomic Bomb album. What do you really? think about that one? Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm not with you. No. No. No, I think I think City of Blinding Lights for me is right up there in terms of anthems. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's one of the best songs they've ever written. Really, I love it. Well, Absolutely. why? I just I like the message. Uh-huh. I, and for me, it's, it feels a lot like where the streets have no name. It's got a lot of that yeah, same kind yeah. of feel to me. Yeah, uh, I have to give I have to give, give a listen. So I, I was in. Uh, it was it was September eleventh uh, in New York City. the The towers went down. Uh, you know, huge loss of life there and in D.C. And the city came together in a way that I never never would have thought it would. Which it of was, course, this is what that song is about. Yes, and so you two planned a show probably days after September 11th to happen at Madison Square Garden in New York City. And I went mm-hmm. and they played that song and projected all the names of the people. Is that right? It was, it was awesome. It that's was amazing. Incredible. Yeah. Like, that's really and well. they, The thing they do is, and they do it like none other is that they have those kinds of moments in the show, whether it's, uh, you know, in the last show they had, you know, all those people come out with the mass of the, uh, yeah. Of uh, I forget the girl's name that was, uh, gosh, that's awful. I can't remember yeah. it. But they have these moments in the show where they <clears throat> where they sort of transport you somewhere else. Yeah, and it's and that's been consistent in every show I've seen, and it's never been the same thing, and it's never been done the same way. Yeah, it's always just this moment where they say, you know, okay, we're going to sit here and play our music, but here's something else that really matters. Yeah. Um. So, <clears throat> so do you think? Uh, do you think that Bono has earned his reputation as this messianic figure where he thinks, you know, that where he's sort of puts himself out in the public eye a lot and uh, is always seen as kind of this guy that's uh, in the midst of all the natural disasters or in the middle of any political fray? He always seems to show up. Yeah. And I remember back in uh back in the late 80s or early or sorry mid to late 80s you know you couldn't listen you couldn't hear Bono talk without him talking about South Africa. Yeah. And you know Bishop Tutu and it's and to be honest with you that was what I just couldn't stand about them back yeah. in back in that day it was just like man we get it but you don't need to just beat it every time <laughs> and uh, you know every time you're talking about it and of course you, you don't realize how really how significant that issue was and what was, or yeah. at least I didn't, you don't fully appreciate what was actually going on. And I think it was probably right to use his, use his fame as a bully pulpit, quite frankly, uh, to get things done <laughs> yeah. and, and to get the word out. And I, you know, I, who knows whether all of the things that he had to say actually mattered in the end or not. But um, so what do you think about what do you think about Bono as this uh, sort of larger than life? Yeah. He's, he's, you know, when you go to see you two, he's the guy you watch. I mean, he's the he's the star power in the band. There's no question about it. Yeah. You know, he's just he's he's one of a kind. He's a spectacle. He's yeah, a spectacle. He is. He is, he is he, that's a great word for it. He is a spectacle. Yeah. So and so what is has he what do you how do you feel about him as a as a person or this kind of reputation he has? Well, so early on, I think it was Live Aid. Uh, you know, uh, they were going along doing their thing yada yada and then live aid came along and 
suddenly that I think that was really their first real cause. And I think Bono went to Africa, I think, and you know, took a look around and saw what was really going on. And that's, I think, what initially sparked the fire for him. And I, then, I think you're right, I, I, because I remember Live Aid distinctly, and it was, that was sort of their coming out party. It was, it was. And then they came, they came bursting onto the scene with a, with a, you know, a social, an unquenchable social conscience. It was, it was pretty extreme. And, and, uh, and even if you compare them to other bands of the day, like R.E.M., who tried to kind of be the same way, yeah, but really weren't, they just could never, they couldn't ever get the influence that Bono and U2 seemed to get almost right from the, right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they, they burst onto the scene and then suddenly, you know, it, it, I, I, I had sort of the same reaction initially as you did, like, just stop you know, hammering away at it, but no, you know, less so like I, I, I agree with him using his, uh, you know, pulpit as it were to, to actually do something and, and, you know, be a force for change in the world. I think that's a very good thing to do. And I, I, I don't fault him for it. And, and, you know, you can look back on, on your past and I certainly do, uh, you know, looking at some of the things that, I said when I was a, you know, young idiot, and I'm sure I still say stupid things now all the time too. But um, back in the day, like uh, you, you felt like you could absolutely change the world just by just by a few things you're saying. And when you have a pulpit like Bono has, you 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 know that's probably pronounced. And you know I, I certainly think he has. Uh, done a lot to change uh, what's going on. I mean, you know, getting a lot of debt forgiven, and uh, because you know, debt is just. I mean, you, how how do you how do you even calculate how valuable that is over time? Sure. To, you know, it's just. I mean, you know, it's releasing the shackles and allowing people to go. Uh, yeah, and his work know. with the you know the one campaign and, and yeah, the one, just, is, one campaign has been big. That's been a yeah, it's been huge, huge, and and, and it was really him that that kind of pushed that to the front and then yeah, you got you know you got brad pitt and all these other uh jokers you know j- glommed on after that but yeah. uh you know he really was the guy that said look and i think in the uh when was it that he i think it was the uh, atomic bomb tour where he talked about uh you know ending global poverty yeah. uh and said you know this is our moonshot this is this is our generation's moonshot mm-hmm. um and this is this is the task that our generation has and you sit there and listen to that and you're like yeah, I think he's right. I mean, you yeah, know, we can do that. Why yeah. can't we do that? And so, uh, it, for me, he's and the, going back to your point about if if you know, how does somebody feel about this? Who's you know who was born in 1985? You yeah. know, do they really care about you too? And I think the what was interesting for me is last year I went to see Coldplay in the first part of the summer. Yeah, great con- great concert. Fantastic band. And I, I went to see it with my nephew, who is uh, 23 years old, 23, 24, somewhere in there. And uh, uh, before we went, he he made a point to say, you know, this is the best band you'll ever see live. They're just fantastic. Yeah. And <clears throat> so I went and, you know, great concert, really liked it. And I got out of there and I said, if you ever have the chance to see you too, you will not feel the way you feel about Coldplay. Yeah. 
I said, I, I'm just telling you, totally this is agree. a great concert, but there's nothing, there, it doesn't compare. Yeah. <clears throat> and I said, there, it's, I said, there's, the U2 concert is literally a spiritual experience. <laughs> and, I, and I can't describe it any other way. And yeah. so in the fall, uh, we both had the opportunity to go see U2. Uh, excellent. And would sure, you, and sure enough, them? we saw, so I saw them in Raleigh here. They actually came oh, to really? Raleigh. Okay, yeah, cool. And then uh, my nephew saw them in, uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. And, but there was back-to-back shows. So he saw them on a Tuesday. I saw them on a Thursday or something like that. Yeah. And I remember him calling me the next day and saying, I finally get it. <laughs> I finally get why you have been going on and on about this band. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's, it's, uh, they're fantastic. Yeah. You know, they really are, to me, they're, they are, they're our generation's band. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I can't think of another one. I mean, there's been other big bands, but there's been, there's nobody like these guys are the, they are the, they're the Stones, they're the Beatles, they're that kind of, they're going to yeah. leave that kind of mark on the music scene. Yeah. And on society. So uh, let me just touch on the, uh, the Coldplay thing. Um, I, I saw Coldplay as well. And, and uh, you know, the problem with Coldplay, it's the music is fantastic. But then when you, when you, you know, when the music starts to be played out and you start listening to the words, uh, it's just, no, it's like nothing there. I mean, it's not nothing, yeah. but it's just not anywhere near the level of music. And that was always a thing with you too. You listen to the music it was really good, but then the, the lyrics would, would just follow in and, and best it. Yes, um, I agree. And I think that to me is the difference. And that's why yeah. I say, that's why I say you two is a spiritual experience because I think they, their lyrics, um, just, you know, make, <laughs> they just miss, make you stop and think. Yeah. And uh, I think that's that's really a uh, that's a that's a seminal goal in music. So yeah. I think we've uh, we've gone a lot Way longer than we intended to, but yeah. uh, it's uh, it's been a it's been a really interesting show. So let's talk a little bit about what we're going to be uh, going through next time. What are we going to be talking about next time, Scott? <laughs> well, we'll be talking about whatever happened from this show to the next one, of yeah. course. Um, but I think our our topic for amnesia lane for for the next show is going to be the movie the hunt for red october i love it so your your uh all of our listeners uh job is to watch this movie uh because we're gonna we're gonna talk about it and so uh to have a a, a new watching under your belt is gonna is gonna help your appreciation of the next episode i'm gonna say yeah absolutely it's a great movie if you haven't ever seen it you've got to watch it if you have seen it uh, you know what we're talking about. So it's to me, it was it's one of the great, it's one of the all-time war movies. Yeah, um, great stuff, and especially for those of us that grew up in the uh, Cold War generation, uh, it really uh, just uh, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, so until next time, remember that uh, you can leave com. Please remember to leave comments uh, about this show on iTunes. Uh, talk about it with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we will see you next week. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Anders. Thank you, Scott. See ya.